Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. It is ACC preview day, but before we get to Ronnie Jones from ESPN and Mitch Griffiths, the new starting quarterback at Wake Forest, we got to talk about some news from a team that is currently in the Pac-12 but it's headed to the Big 12 about a quarterback who initially committed to an ACC school and then an SEC school, but wound up at the school that's in the Pac-12 that's going to the Big 12. Everybody got all that? Yeah. I was a little confused myself. But this is a name you probably know since you are diehard college football people and you followed this recruitment probably from its inception because it was one of the weirder ones that we've ever seen and I don't know that anybody could have predicted the news that came out today. Jaden Rashada is going to be Arizona State's starting quarterback week one. That's the same Jaden Rashada that committed to Miami, that flipped to Florida. There was a $13.7 million NIL contract that had no actual real money behind it. He then left Florida. He wound up at Arizona State where we thought, oh, He's going to sit behind Drew Pine, who they just got from Notre Dame. Well, Drew Pine is hurt, and they need somebody to start. And Jaden Rashada has won the job. The guy who broke that news on Tuesday, on three's Matt Zenitz. And Matt, you, you wrote this last week that it was a very distinct possibility after Pine's injury that Rashada would wind up as QB1 at Arizona State. What happened between now and then to, to have him solidify that spot? Let's just continue to progress. And first of all, I have to give you kudos because the the explanation and rundown that you went through, I would not have been able to, to get through as just efficiently as what you did. So first of all, kudos. Thank you. I had to write it all down first to make sure I got it right. <laughs> now, but two, two things. First of all, the, the Drew Pond injury very much opened the, the door here for Jaden Rashada, where if Drew Pond does not get hurt, Drew Pond is, is probably most likely the starting quarterback at Arizona State heading into the season. But that injury, that hamstring injury for him going back to the 13th has them in a position now where probably won't have Drew Pond through not only the, the first game of the season, but potentially not until a, a few games into the year. And it left the, the competition to essentially be between Jaden Rashada and Trenton Borgay, who started five games for them last year. So, 
at, at that point, it came down to a combination of a couple things. First of all, Jaden Rashada offers a lot more upside. No offense to Trenton Borgay, but a lot hey, more. Hey, Trenton Borgay beat Washington last year. Let's let's all remember that. He did. He had some numbers uh, in, in the games that he started, but at the same time, Jaden Rashada has one of the elite arms mm-hmm. from the 23 recruiting class that, that has been on display at Arizona State going back to the spring and definitely during the course of fall camp and has shown much more of a capability to utilize some of the talent that they have a receiver and make some plays down the field compared to not only Trenton Borgay, but, but even Drew Pine when he's been in there also. So whoever shot now heading into week one where he'll get the opportunity to start that game, if he goes out, kills it, performs at a high level, I, I think there's a high likelihood that he is the guy moving forward at that point. But if he struggles, that opens the door back for Drew Pine, who could potentially be back available as soon as maybe week two, week three, somewhere in. So here's here's how the schedule works. This, remember, this is Kenny Dillingham's first year as the head coach at Arizona State. A lot of roster turnover, like 50 new guys on this team. They play Southern Utah first, which for with so much new and then potentially a true freshman starting at quarterback, that's kind of what you want. They play Oklahoma State week two. That's at home, but that's a much more experienced team. Uh, Mike Gundy's been through quite a bit, knows what he's doing. So – yeah, you want to make sure that guy who starts in week two is is the guy you want in there. And it's amazing to me, though, Matt, because you know, writing all that stuff about Jaden Rashada in the offseason, he was sort of the face of messy NIL. And, and the one thing I that I took away from reporting those stories was that none of it was ever really Jaden Rashada pushing it. He had all these people around him. Uh, you know, he goes to Miami. He flips to Florida. There's that huge contract which i mean i can't even imagine getting one of those at 18 years old and it turned out there was no real money behind it and it just it, it's amazing to me that he came out of it and was ready to go because i i thought after all of this they got to build him back up at arizona state like he's he's been through a lot but i mean pretty mentally resilient to get through that and now be here yeah, and that's kind of been the, the feedback going back to the spring on him that very quickly upon arrival at Arizona State had, had moved on, compartmentalized everything, and, and was at a point where it was showing some advanced maturity, especially factoring in just everything that he had dealt with leading up to, to that point. But really going back to first arrival and, like I said, continuing into to fall camp in the preseason, you have seen some of the physical ability – there that led to him being as highly ranked as, as what he was. And in one of recent practices had a, a laser that went for a 70 yard touchdown to one of the receivers. They like out there, Elijah Badger. And, and there have just been some of those moments consistently with him where has connected on some of those 50, 55, 60 yard passes down the field that just some of the other quarterbacks in that room are, are not capable of doing and that's not even a, a huge indictment on the, the other quarterbacks in the room because the, the way that the Arizona State staff views it, they, they have a guy that is capable of making throws at a level that very few people in the country are capable of, of making them. That said, well, he's young. He's a true freshman. There have been growing pains. It's not like he has been flawless by, by any means during the course of the preseason, but probably one of the, the, the biggest things we, with him – to go along with the physical ability has been just consistent progression mm-hmm. and picking up on, on different things during the course of these last couple of weeks to earn some of that confidence and trust from the Kenny Dillinghams of the world to go along with the obvious physical ability part of it. Well, and, and you forget because of all the other stuff that there was a reason he was so coveted by all these different schools. And, you know, there were, there were stories that came out of elite 11. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff was all, happening while the nil stuff was happening with miami and then with florida and now none of that stuff really matters you know it's really just about him playing football so i i'm very excited to see what he can do and, and fortunately for them they, they have southern utah week one yep. not Oklahoma State week one or, yep. or, or or somebody even more 
uh, ominous in terms of a, a test in that. So it's very much ideal, not only for Kenny Dillingham, his fir- first game being against an opponent like that, but when you have a true freshman quarterback uh, making his first career start, that that is, if you were picking out an opponent, probably who you would be looking to, to, to pick out. Well, Matt, I, I appreciate it. And, and thank you so much for helping us break down this news that for those of us who followed one of the biggest stories of the offseason, we didn't see it going this way this early, but it's going to be fun to watch. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Andy. When we return, you probably read that AI high school football game story that's been floating around on the internet. Well, I wanted to see what happens when AI tries to replace me. So we're going to get into our ACC preview, but we're going to give, we're going to give AI a chance to do it first. And we'll see how our new robot overlords handle the idea of preseason takesmanship. We'll be right back. If you've been on the internet this week, you've probably read that AI-generated high school football story from Ohio. It was a doozy. This was in the Columbus Dispatch high school football game last week. Here's the story. The Westerville North Warriors defeated the Westerville Central Warhawks 21-12 in an Ohio high school football game on Friday. Westerville North edged Westerville Central 21-12 in a close encounter of the athletic kind at Westerville North High on August 18th in Ohio football action. Westerville North opened with a 7-0 advantage over Westerville Central through the first quarter. The Warhawks trimmed the margin to make it 7-6 at halftime. Westerville North jumped to a 21-6 lead heading into the final quarter. The Warriors chalked up this decision in spite of the Warhawks' spirited fourth quarter performance in which they didn't get within one score. So there's your AI football game story. There's a lot of people talking about AI, a lot of people worried about it. Uh, the, the Hollywood screenwriters are on strike right now. They're, they're worried about what the studios are going to do, trying to replace them with AI. Obviously, as someone who's been a newspaper sports writer in his career, this is a... Somewhat disturbing, feels like the T-1000 coming in and, and trying to wipe everybody out. So needless to say, I, I got a little worried reading this. And I thought, okay, I need to find out how safe my job is. I need to figure out, can AI replace me? And well, I gave it a shot. It's ACC preview day, so I let... AI write a Clemson 2023 football preview. And man, it's quite a story. Here it is. The 2023 Clemson football team is gearing up for an exciting season. With the return of coach Dabo Swinney, along with several key returning players, the team is poised for a strong season. Offensively, the Tigers are led by returning quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Last season, Lawrence was one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC and he should be even better this year. Clemson also returns one of the best receiving corps in the nation, led by Justin Ross and Amari Rogers. On the ground, the Tigers will have plenty of options, including Travis Etienne and Lynn J. Dixon. Defensively, the Tigers should be even stronger this year. Led by returning defensive end Xavier Thomas and defensive tackle Tyler Davis, the defense has the potential to be one of the best in the nation. The secondary is also loaded with talent, featuring cornerbacks Darren Kendrick and Andrew Booth. With the combination of star players on both sides of the ball, the 2023 Clemson football team should be a force to be reckoned with. Look for the Tigers to compete for an ACC title and a possible run at the college football playoff. It should be an exciting season for Clemson fans. Holy crap, the Tigers are loaded! Trevor Lawrence led Clemson to a national title and then... Had an incredible comeback against the Chargers in the NFL playoffs last year for the Jaguars. Had the Chiefs on the ropes for a minute in the playoffs. And then he somehow transferred back to Clemson and brought Travis Etienne with him. Has anyone asked Doug Peterson what he and the Jags think of all this? 
this is an incredible team. And Xavier Thomas did come in with Trevor Lawrence. He is back this year. Lynn J. Dixon, no. He's been to West Virginia. He was briefly at Tennessee. He's he long gone. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, long gone. So I, I'm feeling very safe about my job after reading the AI Clemson preview. We may have a few more AI previews along the way. We'll see if the AI gets better because that it is supposed to learn. I mean, that is what the Terminators do. That's what Skynet did. So we'll see what happens. But if you want to learn more about the actual players on the Clemson team this year, as well as everybody else in the ACC, let's talk to ESPN's Roddy Jones about the ACC. You see him on ESPN and the ACC Network. You hear him on SiriusXM. He is Roddy Jones, ACC expert extraordinaire, former Georgia Tech running back. What's up, Roddy? Uh, not much, Andy. First off, congratulations on the new venture. I don't think we've spoken since you started this thing, man. I'm excited for you. I'm happy to be on, um, but I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm great. I, we are so close to football season. We can taste it. We got week zero coming up. I love it. We got to talk some ACC, though, because I feel like on this show, and I realize that we're going to hit the high points on a national show, so we've talked a lot of Clemson, we've talked a lot of Florida State, but I, I would like to get deeper into the ACC with you because you've been going around to all these camps and uh, talking to coaches, talking to players, and so I want to start out with a question that I've asked multiple people. If it's not Clemson-Florida State in the ACC title game, who else might it be? It's, it's a great question, and it's one that I go back and forth on a lot, to be honest. I think there's three main candidates, though, um, and I'll, I'll go in order of, of the likelihood uh, that I that as I see it. First is North Carolina, and, and I understand what North Carolina was on defense last year. I understand the losses that they had, particularly in the secondary but I think this North Carolina defense and Gene Chizik's second year as a play caller is going to be significantly improved. One, because it is the second year under Gene Chizik's system. But the second part of it, Andy, is I think some of the losses defensively are, are sort of a, an addition by subtraction sort of deal. Like I, I think that, that the buy-in of this defense is going to be significantly higher. And it's a defense that was significantly improved over the latter half of the year. Now, look, they started as maybe the worst defense in Power 5, so significantly improved gets them to, like, slightly below average. But even if they take a step from slightly below average to average, then this team's got a real shot. And then offensively, yes, they lose Phil Longo. Yes, they lose Josh Downs. But I think the focus on this offense is on Drake May and the receivers when it really should be on that running back room. I think that running back room has a chance to be one of the best in the ACC uh, British Books, remember, got injured towards ACL before the season last year, didn't play a year ago. So Elijah Green stepped up and was fantastic. Caleb Hood had his moments. Then you've got these two freshmen from a year ago that are now sophomores, Amarion Hampton and George Petway, that were really highly touted. So I think that that uh, that running back room is going to be really good, and it may be the strength of that offense by the time it's all said and done. Uh, the second team is Pittsburgh to me defensively you can talk about the losses that's fine they're going to be great on the defensive line they always are Kalijah Canty was fantastic first round pick they're going to be fine on the defensive line I have zero doubts about Pittsburgh on the defensive line uh at linebacker you move Shane Simon to Servasia Dennis's spot and then in the secondary they're good at the positions that they really need to be good at which is which is corner like they have to be good at corner if you're Pittsburgh and they've got the returning talent there Offensively, they're going to be able to run the football. The receiving core is is uh, experienced and maybe top-end-wise, not the most talented, but really solid from top to bottom. Uh, and then Phil Dracovic transfers in from Boston College, and I think he fits Frank Signetti's system better than Keaton Slovis did a year ago. And even if he gets hurt, which he's been prone to, Christian Vare, the quarterback transfer that they got from Penn State, I think is a really talented player. Um, so I think they'll be fine there no matter what at quarterback. Then the third one is probably the the wild card. If NC State is what I think they can be on offense, then they may jump to the top of this list because defensively I am convinced they are going to be fantastic. I, I don't want to say they're going to be better than a year ago, but they'll be more athletic than they were a year ago. Uh, my biggest question offensively is where are the offensive 
playmakers at the skill positions because Brennan Armstrong transfers over from Virginia, reunites with Robert and I, who was his offensive coordinator at Virginia two years ago when he threw for 4,500 yards in 10 and a half games, basically. Uh, and I spent a year at Syracuse, now comes down to NC State. Um, and, and I think that if they find playmakers at the skill positions, they could be really good on offense and probably leapfrog the two that I just mentioned. But if it's not Clemson or Florida State, then it's, in my opinion, either going to be North Carolina Pittsburgh or NC State in the championship game. We'll be right back with more of our ACC preview featuring Roddy Jones. But first, I want to tell you about bird dogs. It has been a bird dogs kind of day because I woke up, I threw on my bird dogs tight wads and went to the gym. Four-way stretch. Doesn't matter if you're squatting, benching. They can handle it all. Now, we're in my bird dogs Fidel Bass Pro Polo for this lovely ad and then later i've got to go to something where i have to wear pants i'm not wearing pants right now i'm a professional podcaster for goodness sakes but later i will throw on these the stephen jobs and oh by the way look at that the underwear already sewn into the pants you don't have to buy underwear or wash underwear you just throw them on you go you look professional and it's amazing. And right now, if you go to birddogs.com slash Andy or use the promo code Andy, you'll get this beautiful tech hat as well. So you can have bird dogs on your butt, bird dogs on your heart, and bird dogs on the brain all in one day. Birddogs.com slash Andy, promo code Andy. NC State's very interesting to me because, you know, Notre Dame comes to them early in the season. That feels like a very dangerous game for Notre Dame. And then... Clemson's got to go to Raleigh. That that feels like a dangerous game for Clemson, especially in the stretch where it falls in Clemson's schedule. Sell me on Dave Doran getting a team over the hump because it feels like they're always pretty good, but they're never great. Sell me on, on Dave Doran finally having a great team. Well, it, it starts for me defensively, and that defensive line has a chance to be – one of the three best in the ACC. The thing, Andy, is this is a it's a program and really a, a university that just has they can't have nice things. When something starts to go well for NC State, they're hit by an injury to Devin Leary. I mean, that's a team yeah. that, that won a ton of games last year without their starting quarterback uh, who got hurt in the Florida State game going down the line. Do they lose to a Boston College? Do they lose to a to a Syracuse down the stretch if they have Devin Leary? I, I don't think so, especially with the way they played in that Syracuse game. But but defensively, they had a ton of injuries, uh, particularly on the defensive front. Savion Jackson being a big one, he's back. That defensive line of Savion Jackson, C.J. Clark, and Davin Van should be great. Um, at the linebacker position, Peyton Wilson's back for, it feels like a 12th year, but it's actually yeah, a 6th year. Yeah, I was going to say, when, when I saw that he was still there, I was like, how – how? How does this even happen? Great but question. We He's back again. By now. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but I think they're more athletic. And then in the secondary, they've got two of the best corners in the ACC. Aiden White may be the best corner in the ACC, and then Shaheen Battle with him. They're, they're, they're just experienced everywhere enough. Um, the, the offensive side, uh, you know, that's the one where I have to get over the hump because not only do you have Dave Doran, who, whose teams have been very, very good, but sort of snake-bitten, but Robert and I has also had his ups and downs as a play caller. You know, I, the, the thing that stands out in my mind is two years ago when that Virginia team was better than Virginia Tech and they lose that Virginia Tech game. And, and at a crucial moment in that game, they ran a uh, what was it? A tackle throwback. Yeah. On like a third down where did that play lose them the game? No, but that play didn't help them win the game. certainly at a crucial moment. So so there's been some ups and downs. The thing is, I think Brennan Armstrong is a really, really competitive really really sort of heart and soul of the team type player and the maturation that he's gone through uh, has been tremendous and then there's enough there at the receiving core Keon Lassane, Porter Rooks, Julian Gray where you can see the path to them being good. Trent Penix at tight end could be a really good piece. Um, my sales job is is a little tempered though Andy because I'm not sure I completely believe everything that I'm saying <laughs> is going to come together but I do think the pieces are there for Dave Doran, certainly more than they have been in some past years. And, and I think just as much as last year, we thought they really could have a special season. So another one that, that I'm curious about, and it feels like we're not talking about them much, 
but they've got a, a big non-conference game week two that, that we're probably all going to watch because whoever loses existential crisis happens. <laughs> it's Miami. They, they've got a, Texas A&M coming in week two. And then you know, we, we've after last season, especially the way Florida State destroyed them, we kind of set them aside like, okay, we'll, we'll talk about you guys when you're ready. But I heard Mario Cristobal at ACC Media Days and you hear people talk about uh, Francis Minoa and Samson Okanola, the, the, the freshman offensive lineman who they feel like can play now. Can they be bat- that much better on the offensive line? Because I feel like that is a fast way to get better, period. It, it really is, by, by just getting massive. Those two guys are massive. And, and Mario Cristobal kind of said as much. He's like, look, these guys are so big that as freshmen, you just kind of throw them out there. And if nothing else, they're really hard to get around because they're <laughs> because of the mass. So I think they can be significantly better on the offensive line late in the year. I think they're going to go through some growing pains early on, particularly when you play a Texas A&M who's going to be extremely talented on the defensive side, particularly on the defensive line. So as long as they don't let that break them, then I think they will be significantly better late in the year which is when the schedule gets absolutely brutal. I mean, they, they, they have an early bye week. Their bye week is the last week of September. And then after the bye, they play North Carolina, NC State, Clemson, and Florida State, uh, all in the back, <laughs> back in the last eight games. So, And then you sprinkle in like a Louisville in there, which, are, which is a team that, you know, I, I don't really know what Louisville is going to be, but the schedule sets up nicely for them. So, so I do think Miami is in a, in a good place from the fact that we're not talking about them. We don't have a ton of expectations. I do think they'll be better in a lot of areas, particularly in the offensive line. I think they'll play better at quarterback. How many more wins is that equal? I'm not sure. It should be a bowl team, um, but I'm not sure they get to like nine. But I do think this is a team that's going to take a step forward and, and probably a significant one by the end of this year because of the youth that they're going to have with the two tackles that you mentioned. I expect Ruben Bain to play a ton as a defensive end um, on that defensive line. So so I, I think there's reason to be excited about Miami, but you got to sort of take the long-term seasonal excitement um, and, and wait to what see what this team could be at the end of next year. It, how hard is that, given the investment they've made and, and – you know, they, they paid a lot to get Mario Cristobal away from Oregon. They said, okay, we're going to invest more in the program now. Do you think they can be patient enough to, to let that come to fruition? I think as long as you see steps, yes. Um, now, will they be patient, five years patient? No. But I don't think they're going to need to be. Uh, Mario Cristobal's Oregon team took a big step forward in year two. So while I don't think they'll take quite the step forward at Miami, I do think next year this team should be really good. And will it compete for a 12-team playoff? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I do think that they did a really good job on the portal this year. Matt Lee, a guy that they get over from UCF at center, is a really good addition. Uh, you mentioned Francis Maui Goa. Francisco Maui Goa, his brother, was one of the Washington best players State. on Washington yeah. State's defense last year. Exactly. He transfers over and helps them defensively. and they So they, they've done a good job. Uh, they got a couple transfer corners in as well. Um, but does that get you to contending for the ACC? I don't think so. I, I do think, though, by next year, we should have some expectations around this Miami program. Yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting because now Florida State is the is dominating the conversation in the Sunshine State because they've been the most successful. They feel the oldest and the, and the most mature. Now, we've talked about the, the the ones that we don't necessarily think will wind up in the ACC championship game. Let's talk about the favorites. Florida State opens against LSU. About as good of a challenge as you can start with. Where is this team in terms of maturity and and what it takes to get over the hump and and win the conference? I I they are saying the right things, Andy. They really are. Um, I've got to see it to believe it right now, for a couple of reasons. One. They lost the three games that they played against the three best teams a year ago. Uh, They lost to Clemson, they lost to NC State, and they lost to Wake Forest. And some of that was very self-inflicted. I look at the NC State game in particular, and that was a game that Devin Leary leaves the game. Jack Chambers comes in for NC State. you got to win that game. You've got to find a way to win that game. And it was really self-inflicted the way that they didn't. So how do you get over that? Being in those situations helps, but then there's also just the doing it factor. Um, 
the other part is is they are going to be expected to win every game other than Clemson and LSU, and we will judge them by Clemson and LSU. But those are two games where they are, quite honestly, punching above their weight. Clemson and LSU are more talented football teams. So how do you overcome that as well? Uh, they're saying the right things. They're led in the right way. Jared Verse is a fantastic player. Jordan Travis is a fantastic player. They are deep in a lot of spots. But I think if you were to line up the games against the LSU or Florida State and say, all right, who's got more pros and who's got more first, second, third round pros, uh, Florida State's going to come in third of that bunch, I think. Um, so can you get over the stage, the expectations, and then the talent deficiency with the, those two schools? I don't know. I think Florida State's going to be very good, um, and they're saying the right stuff. But I got to see it to believe it. That That's what's interesting to me is, is they have gotten this team better through the transfer portal. And now it seems they're using that to help them recruit the high school guys that help you have the, the more stocked with pros roster like a Clemson or an LSU, but they're not quite there yet. So let's talk Clemson because that defense is definitely stocked with pros, but tell me who's Garrett Riley leaning on other than Will Shipley as a playmaker in that offense, because it feels like that's what they've been lacking is it's not, there's no T Higgins, Mike Williams, you know, that just hasn't been there the last couple of years. I think they've got some candidates, you know, Clemson fans uh, and Clemson coaches will consistently tell you about Bo Collins. Bo Collins is a guy we've seen. Um, I am a little more skeptical that he becomes like those guys that you just mentioned, Mike Williams, a T Higgins. But they do have some candidates. Cole Turner is a guy that uh, showed some flashes last year. Um, if you remember Nolan Turner, it's his younger mm -hmm. brother, uh, a guy that started playing football really late, so still learning the position, but extremely physically talented. The guy I've really got my eye on in terms of outside receiver is Adam Randall, though. He got hurt in, uh, I believe it was in summer camp. It may have been in spring practice, though, last year, which limited him heavily over the course of, of last season. Played sparingly, but a big physical receiver. He's 6'4", 230 type guy. Um, who apparently has looked fantastic. And I think Garrett Riley is going to find ways to get that dude the ball. Antonio Williams was fantastic as well for them last year in the slot. He may end up being their best receiver, both from a pro standpoint and from a college standpoint, because of his explosiveness, his reliability. And so I think there's enough there at receiver for Garrett Riley to find a way. Because remember, TCU had one real star receiver last year. It was mm -hmm. Quentin Johnson. The other guys were really good college receivers, but were elevated by that system with Garrett Riley, putting them in the best position. So I think he's going to be able to do that with uh, with this Clemson offense. I also would say keep an eye on Phil Maffa, the backup running back who physically looks the part. TCU ran a lot of two-back sets last year oh, with, yeah. with Kendra Miller and Amari DiMarcado. I think you're going to see that a lot with Clemson this year too because those two running backs are fantastic. Well, and, and I like the idea of Dabo bringing in – new blood, fresh ideas, because it, I was a little worried when they promoted from within on both sides of the ball last year, you know, were they getting a little too insular? And, you know, this reminds me of when they hired Brent Venables as the DC or when they hired Chad Morris as the OC and things just sort of opened up for them. It, it, it really does. And I think Dabo Sweeney sort of gets criticized fairly or unfairly for his, his, his loyalty to the assistance that he's promoted from within. And I would argue that the jury's still out a little bit on Wes Goodwin on defense, who was a defensive assistant and analyst under Brent Venables, who got promoted to the defensive coordinator job. That defense was outside of the top 25 for the first time since 2012 last year. Um, that defense was disappointing. That defense should have been one of the top 10 defenses in the country when you look at, at the, the, the number of guys they put in the NFL and the, the talent that they left there. Um, so, so they have to take a step forward as well. But when Dabo Sweeney has really needed to, or, or more when he's had the opportunity to, when he's had a, 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 an opportunity that you can't pass up, Garrett Riley was an opportunity he, can't he couldn't pass up. Uh, he has gone and gotten those guys. Chad Morris was a, was a revolutionary change for that Clemson offense, which led into Tony Elliott, who ran a different version of sort of a similar thing, Tony Elliott and Jeff mm -hmm. Scott, but they were so talented that, that that system could be vanilla and they could be more predictable because their talent was great. Well, now Garrett Riley is going to bring in a system that's going to really accentuate the individual talents. And, and so I give Dabo Sweeney a lot of credit going out, making it happen, and uh, and, and honestly, 
paying enough where Garrett Riley yeah. was going to leave TCU. Now Clemson's always paid assistance. That's yeah. they got everybody else paying assistance <laughs> now. But uh, we have not mentioned one of the the programs that has been one of the more consistent ones over the last few years in the ACC, and that's Wake Forest. You're, you're going to hear Mitch Griffiths elsewhere on this show talking about the his transition to starting quarterback replacing Sam Hartman. But, Roddy, what, what has Dave Clawson done to make them as consistent as they are? I think he has a very systematic approach to program building. Uh, I had a game Dave Clawson's first year at Wake Forest where he said, look, this roster is barely a power five roster. We have guys that are freshmen right now, particularly in the offensive line, that can help us win today. We are going to redshirt those guys, and we're going to redshirt every offensive lineman we get as long as I'm here. And he still does it where yeah. those guys redshirt their freshman year, they sit their redshirt freshman year, and usually their redshirt sophomore year, and then in their fourth year, they play. And so they are always old on the offensive line. COVID helped that significantly. But but they are always that. I think he's done a great job of doing something similar at quarterback, making a system that quarterbacks have to make a lot of post-snap decisions, but getting them comfortable so that when they're put in the game, they can not only play the strengths of that quarterback, which you're going to see with Mitch Griffiths and his ability to run, but also the reads are simple enough where you can execute at a high level even as a young player. And he's done a great job of finding under-recruited guys at the skill positions that can help them early in their careers. You know, you think of a, of a Donovan Green who obviously got hurt, um, in, who's hurt in the preseason, and, and we'll see if they get him back at all this year. But a Jamal Banks was a young player last year who played for them a lot uh, and is back this year. They, they do a really nice job picking and choosing in the portal. Justice Ellison is, a, is, a, is an example of that, the running back. Uh, and and defensively, they have been opportunistic enough. That defense wasn't as good as I think they would have wanted it last year. But offensively, it's such a system. And I'm not just talking about the the slow mesh, ride to side uh, system that they've got. But it's a system to a pro building a program that they've really stuck by, Anthony. It's been super successful. Well, and, and as someone who played in a triple option system, what's it like? being in an offense that is just different to everybody how does that how does that affect defenses you play you can tell that they can't run at full speed in practice like you can tell that that this is their first time seeing something like this at full speed and I think those receivers probably on a week in week out basis sort of see uh the reaction of the defensive backs to being on a complete island most of the game because the linebackers are going to be a yard to half from the line of scrimmage when that ball is pulled because that's where the running back and the quarterback are. And so you can definitely tell that it, there's an acclimation period every single game that you walk into. And that's really a good opportunity. We always had success first, second drives of games basically my entire career. And I bet if you went and did the study with Wake Forest, you would see that as well, that they have a ton of success, particularly early in games. And then as you start to see teams adjust, Wake Forest is better at making those adjustments in their system than the defense are to, is to adjusting to them. And that's something that we had as well. Like we were always better at adjustments because we do this every week, you know, defenses yeah. have to make slight adjustments without really knowing what the unintended consequences are. So let's talk Georgia tech The Brent key takes over. He was the interim last year after Jeff Collins was fired. So what's different now that he's had a full off season to make it his program. I think the big thing is just the approach to work. Um, there is a more structured uh, approach to the way things are going to run and operate. Brent Key was a former offensive line coach, former offensive lineman, captain at Georgia Tech. So there is a dedication to the lines of scrimmage um, that I think you'll see, maybe not this year, but but certainly down the line with the investment that they've poured into the that position group in particular. Uh, you're going to see a little bit of a different offense. Um, it'll be more like what Chip Lindsey ran, excuse me, Chip Long ran last year at Georgia Tech than what Dave Patnode ran in the years before, where it's going to be mixture of personnel groupings, mixture of shotgun and under center. Um, and, and you're going to see a lot of shifts in motions pre-snap from Buster Faulkner. Uh, Buster Faulkner was, a, was an assistant, uh, an analyst at Georgia last year. So I think there is a question on how much of that stuff does he bring over to Georgia Tech? Because I actually do think Georgia Tech has a pretty good tight end room. Uh, certainly not what Georgia's got. Nobody's got what Georgia's got. But 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 I think Tech has has the ability to mix and match some as well. 
they're going to rely pretty heavily on transfers on the offensive side of the football, both at receiver uh, with a couple of transfers coming in and at quarterback, uh, potentially with Haynes King, the transfer from Texas A&M fighting for the job. But I think ultimately you're going to see a sort of no frills, no nonsense approach to this program that Brent Key is going to bring in. He's a guy that coached under Nick Saban. He's a guy that coached under George O'Leary, two guys that, that, know how to get down to the nuts and bolts of what's important. And I think that's sort of what you'll see model Georgia Tech modeled after. I did a story last year after they took over. It was just – it kind of told you everything where he – the first day he got the job, they just they, – they completely altered their punt protection unit, which right. for those who never played, like to do that in the middle of the season is incredibly hard. But they stopped getting punts blocked, and <laughs> it worked. Yep. So – it, 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 I was very impressed with that. So I, I'm very excited to see what he can do now that it's his show. But another, another program that is trying to figure things out is Virginia Tech. And your, your colleague, Andrew Adelson, had an incredible story last week about exactly how things went wrong during the Justin Fuente era, what Brent Pry is trying to do to fix it. But wh- where is Virginia Tech as a program right now? They're not in a great spot, Andy, to be honest with you, um, because they've you, you get in the cycle where you play catch up for so long that people kind of forget what what has been and almost talk about it in a past tense. That's that's, you know, somewhat out of reach at this point in time. So Brent Brent Pry is really fighting that right now. Uh, it doesn't help him. I don't think it helps him a lot that he comes over from Penn State where he was recruiting yeah. against Virginia Tech a lot. And so he knows how James Franklin is going to approach recruiting the state of Virginia. But also, he has done a great job selling Penn State to those Virginia recruits for years and those coaches. Yeah, he might have done a too good of a job. Right, exactly. So, so he'll see just how good a job he's done. Um, but from, from a resources standpoint, they are getting on equal footing with the rest of the, of the top part of the league. It's, it's a challenge now to recruit the state of Virginia the way they did. The secret's sort of out about the 757, um, particularly the place where they live that sort of uh, Virginia Beach, Newport News area, where they pulled so many of their best players from over the course of Frank Beamer's tenure, particularly in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, so you're, you're having to fight a lot harder. Um, and this is a program that also is in a league that is much different than the league that they entered into ACC wise. I mean, I played in the ACC in the, in the late two thousands. They were winning the league every year. They were, it was, it was, yeah. The, the one year they didn't when, when I was there was the year that we won it. And, yeah. and, but other than that, it was like Virginia tech, Georgia tech. But the biggest difference to me Andy, is that there wasn't a national power at that time. Virginia tech was probably the closest thing, but how many national championship conversations were they in? It, now you've got Clemson. You've got an ascending Florida State. And I think Miami will be maybe not national championship, but like 12-team college football playoff caliber. L- loaded short with order. pros. Exactly. Yeah. So so what's the ceiling now for Virginia Tech, I think, is the biggest question. Um, how do you get transfers to consistently come to Virginia Tech? Do you try and attract guys that left the state of Virginia to come back? I just think there's a lot of questions there. And Brent Pride did a lot of learning in his first year. Um, but it's a much different landscape than the one that, that Virginia Tech had the most success that they've had the AC, in the ACC, um, you know, in that, in that you know, sort of 2005 to 2011, 12 uh, era. So you mentioned Louisville a little earlier and said you kind of don't have a read on them. And I don't know that anybody does because Jeff Brom comes in, they bring in a lot of transfers. He's got Jack Plummer back, who he had at Purdue yeah. at one point. Uh, but I, I'm very high on the future for Louisville. Now, their, their schedule's great this year, which we haven't even talked about the new ACC schedule. They got the best of it for this year, but it'll it'll be one of those things where we have to look every year about who who's getting lucky on the draw. But what do you think of Jeff Brom long-term at Louisville? Because we don't really know short-term, but I, I, I got a feeling that they're going to be able to get dudes and build an offense that can be very tough to deal with for the next five, ten years. I completely agree long-term. Um, uh, this year, it'll be interesting. Next year, regardless of, of who they get in or out, could be rough because they, you, you were referencing the schedule. This year, they don't get Clemson or Florida State. Um, next year, that means next year, they get Clemson and Florida State. And Florida State, yeah. 
So this year they get Notre Dame at home, which means next year they get Notre Dame on the road, and then they play play Miami every year. So next year's schedule is is going to be is going to be tough. But long term, this is a, a an institution that looks like it is finally aligned from head coach to athletic director to university president, which is I mean that alone is a surprise for Louisville to have happen. Um, they finally got their guy, the guy that the the town will buy into. And to be quite honest, won't flirt with another job like they've had coaches in the past do, uh, which has sort of burned this Louisville, uh, this Louisville fan base. And I do think offensively, they will play a style that will attract not only transfers, but also high school recruits. And they are heavily invested from an NIL standpoint now. Um, it is the only show in town. There's no pro teams in Louisville. They love their Cardinals basketball, their Cardinals football, and their Cardinals baseball. They absolutely love it support every sport tremendously. So I do think long-term this thing can work. Um, now, what can they be at the top end? I don't know. I, I think they should get to the point where they are consistently in the nine-win uh, nine range, which puts them consistently in at least in the bubble talk for a college football playoff appearance. Uh, but I'm excited about Jeff Brom long-term. I don't know what it's going to look like the next two years, but I am excited yeah. for the next five and what Jeff Brom could do. Yeah, if you can take Purdue to the Big Ten title game, you, yeah. you, I like your chances in the ACC at a program that you, like you mentioned, that can attract people, be they transfers or high school players. I mean, he got Rondell Moore to go to Purdue over yep. a pretty impressive list of offers. I think Louisville's an easier place to recruit than Purdue. So I, I'm excited about that. Roddy, I'm, I'm excited about this season. I, I can't wait to see you on ESPN and calling games. And this is, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, man, it sh it should be great. You know, the I think big picture. You look at what this year could do for college football. Um, the star power at the top, the quarterback play from top to bottom. I think you look at the the leagues that are, you know, the the Big Ten and the SEC are always always great at the top. But I think the most interesting leagues are outside of those two in terms of who could win it, depth, mm -hmm. all of that. Um, so I'm fascinated by what this what this year is going to be, and I'm I'm really I'm really excited about it. Well, and, and some of those, you've been kind of moving around the, the different nights and crews as, as you call games. What has been your favorite place to call a game? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Virginia Tech is always a special place in my heart because it's the loudest place I've ever been. Um, LSU was fantastic. I loved going to LSU, and it wasn't even a big game. It was Southeast Louisiana, but that was awesome. Um, some of the big 10 schools were really fun as well. Like I've been to Iowa. Iowa was yep. a great place. I would say my, my favorite to go to, um, that I go to on a regular basis or have gone to on a regular basis, probably Virginia tech, particularly if you get one that gets at some point into the evening, that place is awesome. Now I know you've done some UCF games. Let the big 12 folks yeah. know what the bounce house is like. Oh. Uh, well, it's like an erector set that <laughs> yeah. is, is close to the field. But they may have the largest student section in the world, Andy. Like it's, it feels like it's all students, and it is. It is a ton of fun. It's hot. If you're going in September, October, it's going to be hot. But it's, it's one of, it's one of those sneaky ones where you get there and you're like, wow, I see why they call it the bounce house. I feel like this place is going to crumble, um, <laughs> not because of, not because of its structural integrity. Like that is sound, but just the number of people that they cram in there is awesome. So uh, enjoy it. Uh, pack some extra clothes because you're going to sweat your tail off after. Beautiful. Sound advice is what Roddy Jones gives. Thank you, Roddy. Yeah, my pleasure, Andy. We are joined now by Wake Forest QB1 Mitch Griffiths. And uh, has that sunk in yet? I mean, it, it, you've, you've been in that role for a while now, but how does it feel after working for a couple seasons to get here? Uh, it's a, it's a pretty surreal experience. It's pretty cool. Um, I've been waiting patiently for three years now. So finally being in this role, um, is pretty cool. And it's something I don't take for granted. Um, you know, I had to wait a long time, so it's made me appreciate where I'm at a lot more. Um, so I'm enjoying every day and it's, it's pretty cool. So the, it's interesting though, cause you did your three seasons in the program already. And if you want, you can be in the program three more seasons because of the, yeah. the COVID year. Like, is it, are people look at you as the old guy, but you could actually be a three-year starter if you want to. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a weird dynamic. I've, I've been here for, for three years and thinking about everything that's happened in the last three years and, um, you know, how slow it's gone, but also the same time, how fast it's gone and thinking of that, you know, I'm really only halfway done and, you know, everything can, I can kind of repeat that three years again. So, um, it's nice, you know, when I have some, some extra time and, uh, it's fun. I'm excited. I, I plan to stay three years. Um, the only thing, you know, making me leave would be, you know, I've had some great draft, draft stock early. So, yeah, that, that, I plan on staying for three years. This is, I was talking to your coach. I was talking to Dave Clawson last week and, and he said that, you know, we, we're looking for those 5'11 guys. And part of it might be those NFL guys don't come steal you guys too early. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have a good pred- pedigree of uh, shorter quarterbacks here at Wake. Obviously, John Walford was, uh, yeah. he's about my height, he's about 5'10. Um, he's a legend in our building. Yeah. Uh, so, so is Riley Skinner. Riley's not a super tall guy either. So, yeah, got a, got a good pedigree of shorter guys here. It, and it, it's, I mean, the offense is built to help that, right? That I, I'm not giving away any state secrets here, but that slow mesh does make some throwing lanes available for you and, and give you a chance to see where you're throwing it, right? Yeah, it definitely helps, um, especially because in, in the RPO game, the linemen are in a, in a run stance, which tends to be a lower stance than, than the uh, pass set. So it helps me out, obviously, when they're, you know, squatted over and knees are bent, Um because I'm obviously a shorter guy. So it definitely helps me out. And then the throwing lanes become a little easier, especially when, when the linebackers fit a certain way. And um, there's a bigger hole for, for the, the seventh guy to come in the box. So it definitely helps out with some throwing lanes. So I, I asked Sam this a couple of years ago, and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's no big deal. But I, I'm curious, that when you are meshed with the back, when you've got the, the ball in his belly, and you are waiting, 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 looking, you know, reading your keys and, and looking for something to pop open, are there any nerves? Because you're really close to the D line at that point. Um, no, that no. It, I honestly, I find it a little bit easier than than sitting in the pocket on on uh, in pass protection on a pass play, just because you're so much closer to the D line. It's a lot easier to kind of feel what's going mm-hmm. on, and, and you know, just get a ton of reps in practice. I can kind of feel if you know if someone's coming through. Um, I'm right there, and I can. It's just a little easier to sense. Sometimes in in a pocket, it gets a little muddy. Um. You know, when, when guys are coming around you and carve, the ends are carving around you, uh, you know, how much time do you really have? So I, I enjoy uh, walking it up, especially, you know, it allows me to be super thorough with my decisions with the football. Um, you know, if I want to pull it or, or, or hand it off. Um, but I, I, I do not get nervous. You know, I, I trust the guys up front. They do a great job. And um, I, I do like it at times more than, than normal drop back pass. It's very helpful. I've never asked a quarterback this, but I, I realize I should have. What does that feel like? when you know there's a guy behind you where, where you know that there, there's a rusher that's that's maybe gotten around his guy and he's there but you can't maybe can't see him but can feel him yeah that's that's the hardest thing is obviously when you can't see him and you, you can feel him and you have to just trust your instincts and um you know nine times out of ten you're right and then there's always that one time where you think you had to get out but you really didn't um mm. or you didn't think you had to get out and you had to there's always that one time out of ten that you're going to screw up that's the worst feeling um, for me personally. The worst feeling is, you know, leaving the pocket before I had to. Um, I hate when I do that. And I've gotten better at that over my career. Yeah. But anytime I leave the pocket a little too early, um, I always get bummed out of myself, you know, just want to sit in there. But no one's perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And um, but most of the time, most of the time you, you can feel pretty well if you trust your instincts. How, how hard is that decision making process when, when it is to leave the pocket? Because you're a pretty good runner. So you, you could, you know, you can make a positive play happen. But it might not be as positive a play if you'd hung in or as if you'd hung in and, and thrown. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it it gets it, at times it gets tricky and you're never going to be perfect because there's sometimes just things happen in the pocket. And, um, you know, especially being a shorter guy, sometimes you got to slide one way to find a throwing lane. Um, and that might invite some pressure on its own just because you're staying out of the apex of the pocket. Um Again, you just have to trust your instincts and trust your field because you really can't. If you look down, you're not going to make a play down the field. You, you can't see, um, you know, your receivers, the coverage behind it. So it gets tough at times, but I think it's for any quarterback, you know, it gets tough at times. It, it's it's a – you have to make a super fast decision. Um, wow, there are a bunch of 300-pound dudes trying to take your head off. So, you know, it's, no one's ever perfect at it, but as long as you get comfortable with it and keep working at it like I have, you know, it's, it's got a lot better. Speaking of comfort, how comfortable are you with your receivers now? Because a bunch of those guys came in the same class with you. You guys were all, you know, in the same workouts, new together, and have really grown up together. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm super comfortable with our receiver core. Um, you know, starting with the older guys, uh, Taylor Marin. Me and Taylor grew up 15 minutes away from each other. Um, so I've known Taylor for a long, long time. Um, and during COVID, you know, we, we got together three times a week and we threw. Um, so I've been working with Taylor for a long time. And then Keyshawn and Jamal, um, those guys, I mean, I came in with them. Um, I mid-year to left high school early with Jamal. And then Keyshawn showed up in, in, in June. Um, so since then, you know, I've been throwing with those guys for, you know, going on four years now. Um, so I have super good chemistry with them. And then Wesley Grimes being a younger guy, you know, he didn't yeah. play much last year. So I kind of took him under my wing, knowing that he would help us in the future. And um, as I wasn't the starter, I could kind of invest some time into Wesley and another guy like Horatio Fields, um, two younger guys who didn't play a ton last year. So I knew I could invest in them and make sure they were ready and, you know, at practice, I'm talking, communicating, knowing that they'd help us win in the future. And then uh, we got a transfer from Tennessee, Walker Merrill. Um, he's just been the sponge. Loves learning about the offense, loves loves figuring things out, and works super, super hard. So I'm super comfortable with those guys. They work really hard every single day, which makes my job a lot easier. Um, I never have to call them twice to come catch or run routes. They're always there early, warmed up, ready to go. So I'm super thankful for that group. They, they work super hard every day. How's your relationship with that line? Because as old as you are, they've they've all been there longer. Yeah. Yeah, we do have some old line. We have a, a sixth year at guard, um, Michael Jurgens, who I have grown close with just because I've been in the program through four years. And um, and then a seventh year, uh, Spencer Clapp. Uh, so I have gotten close to those guys, just being in the program for a long time. But then the rest of the linemen, um, I live with two of them, uh, Luke, Luke Pettibone and uh, Matt Goldman. They're two of my roommates. Um, so I'm super tight with them. And then Nick Sharp and uh, Devontae Gordon, who are similar age as me. So I, I've got to know those guys as we've been in the same program for, for a few years. And, and it's a great group. They make me laugh hard every day. And uh, they make my job super easy. I love, I love that group. That's a, that's a great group. What makes you want to live with linemen over, say, receivers or backs? Or, you know, what, what, what draws you to living with linemen? Um, you know, it really was, had nothing to do with the position group. Just kind of how we meshed when we first met. Um, you know, I live with uh, our, one of our tight ends, two of our and two of our linemen. Um, mm -hmm. when I got when I got to school, I mid year with a tight end named Michael Froge, and mm -hmm. we've been roommates ever since we got to school. Um, he's my best friend, and you know we just kind of clicked. And when we were getting recruited together, um, we spent time together on visits, and we're just very similar people. Um, so we clicked right away. We knew we wanted to live together. And then with the two linemen, you know, just the first time we met him, he just, we just clicked, and we decided that we'd live together. Um, yeah, it's fun. I, I love them with them. It, it's a it's a good house, but uh, yeah, lot lots of food and a lot of taking out the trash. I would say, who cooks in the house, or is it all is it all takeout at this point? Well, in camp, it's nice. They, they we get food all the time. So oh yeah, yeah, they just whatever you need. Yeah, yeah they, they they provide it for us. But I uh, I like to I cook for myself. But if if we're cooking for the entire house, uh, Luke, Luke Pettibone, our, our starting center, will get on the grill. He makes some good steaks and some good some good burgers. So. We'll get on the grill about once a week, and we'll we'll cook something up, and that's all, Luke. I have to give him credit for that one. You got a center who cooks for you, like that yeah, is the ultimate yeah. quarterback situation. It doesn't get any better than that. No, I I got a good life. I got I got a good life. <laughs> so I, I saw you're you're a big Sopranos fan. So I, Ooh, I have yeah. to I have to ask, who would you want more as a teammate, Christopher Moltisanti or Polly Walnuts? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Obviously, both super loyal. Oh man. One one maybe a little too loyal. We won't give any spoilers here. Yeah, well, yeah. I think I think I'd have to go with Chris. And I'm I mean I'm I'm gonna have to spoil something here. If you haven't seen Sopranos by now, that that's on that's on it's you. true. It's like 20 something years. Yeah, yeah. So I think especially after the the Adriana scene with Christopher, mm -hmm. that's why I knew that he's he was a ride or die for Tony. Um, yeah. That, yeah, after that episode, I had to take like a week break off the show. That was that was a tough one. Um so when when did you pick up Sopranos? Because you would have been a baby when that song, when, when that show came out. Yeah, I uh, I love I love learning about the mafia. I love like the New York mob and and all that stuff. And um, I don't know why I enjoy it. I mean, it's obviously I don't agree with everything, but I enjoy it. <laughs> You're, right. You're not then, running numbers on no, the side. No, no, no. <laughs> but I just enjoy learning about it. I've always watched like YouTube videos. I've seen all the mob movies. Um, I just I just like that kind of stuff. So, and I had heard about Sopranos, and I I really didn't know what it was. Until my mom was like, hey, have you ever seen The Sopranos? So I was telling her how I enjoyed like watching the mob movies. And I said, no, I haven't. And I watched it. And I finished it in like two months. Like I could oh, yeah. not put it down. I mean, any free time I got, I was watching it. Um, so I picked it up. I think in 2021 was when I watched it. 
We so watched that's... it the same year. So okay, yeah. When when it came out, I had just graduated from college, so I was too broke to have HBO. So I never never saw it then. But I, it was twenty twenty one for me too. Now, I was also I just started like a big diet. I, I lost a bunch of weight during that time. But it drove me nuts because Tony eats in pretty much every scene. Yeah, that was hard. I would always get super hungry. My my uh, lasagna <laughs> consumption in twenty twenty one was probably through the roof compared to my other years in my life. But yeah, I mean it's a great show. It's it's a, it's a tough watch at times. It gets dark. Um, yeah. But I love it. I mean, I, I will go on YouTube. Anytime I eat and I'm alone, I'll go on YouTube and just watch like Sopranos best scenes. And I'll just, I can just, watch, just I can watch like it. today. We're watching Pine Barrens and let, let's oh, yeah. go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love rewatching it. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it might be a little unhealthy obsession with the show. Well, so you mentioned the mob movies and then I got, I want you to rank these. Okay. Godfather one, Godfather two, Goodfellas. Um, okay. Godfather one is my one close second is Goodfellas and Godfather two is the, the third one. I you really can't like, go wrong here. No, they're all great movies. Yeah. I love Goodfellas. Goodfellas is a great movie. I think I like the Godfather more cause, um, I don't know. It's like that old school mob vibe, like the seventies, like 60s, 70s mob vibe. And when he goes back to it, Michael goes back to Italy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's cool. Uh, I also love Casino. Casino is a great movie. Yes, As I, I was gonna. It was gonna include that one, but that, that's one of those. I'm not sure if we're gonna call that a mob movie or a game. Yeah, but it is definitely yeah. a mob movie. So that's yeah, a, it's, yeah, it's a good one. I like Joe Pesci. He uh, he does a good job of that movie. Oh yeah. So now, do you try to get your roommates onto this stuff, or are they are they down, or are they like, no, 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 we're not watching another Sopranos episode? My two linemen, Luke and Matt, they they've all seen Sopranos. So I I watched it in 21. I think they watched it last year, and I rewatched it with them. Like anytime it came on, I would I would watch it. So we always uh, we always talk about. We'll quote it all the time, and uh, yeah, we we love talking about it. We have we have a few Sopranos posters in our house. I think actually. Very nice. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things that like everybody's like, you got to see it, you got to watch it. I'm like, fine, fine, fine. I'll I'll watch it. Yeah. And then I watch it like. Okay, you were all, all you were all right. I'm willing to yeah. admit this. It was great. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate it. And uh, Mitch, good luck this season. And uh, hopefully, uh, some more good mob movies come out because we got yeah, well, we we to add to the collection there. Yeah, definitely. It's been a while. All right, thanks, Mitch. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Thanks again to Mitch Griffiths for that interview. We got to come up with a with a gangster name for him, like Mitchie G or something like that. But very much appreciate his time. Cannot wait to see him spin it for Wake Forest this year. We started this show with news of Jaden Rashada winning the starting quarterback job at Arizona State. We will finish with more news of a starting quarterback in the ACC. Haynes King will be Georgia Tech's starter against Louisville in the season opener, according to Kelly Quinlan and up Yahoo. This is a big deal because of all the quarterbacks in the country, Haynes King is the only one who has completed a pass to me in a game. That's right. I'm not kidding. There's proof. Last year, James King was the starter at Texas A&M. They're playing in Alabama. They are driving, trying to potentially win the game. And what happens? Well, what happened to a lot of people who played Alabama? Will Anderson came out of nowhere, and Haynes King was on the run, and he had to get rid of the ball. So he throws it over the right sideline, past the outstretched hand of Texas A&M athletic director Ross Bjork, and into the hand of me. It was one-handed. That's right. Left hand. Not my dominant hand. My right hand was filming. Here's the video. <laughs> Yeah, that's all I could think to say was I got the ball. I'm sorry. There are 100,000 people. I just caught a pass. I don't know what to do. I played on the line, for goodness sakes. So congratulations to Haynes King. Good luck to him at Georgia Tech. Hopefully he will never, ever, ever have to complete another pass to me. Ever. Thanks for the listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, however you're getting the podcast, however you're getting the show, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on your favorite podcast platform. Tomorrow, Peter Burns from the SEC Network joins us. SEC preview time. 
I don't know if it's gonna be as fun, because I don't know if we'll be talking about people who threw me a pass, but I'm sure we can figure it out. Talk to you tomorrow. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.